welcome to the Matt Hummer podcast, episode 14. I'm Mo and I'm here with Elle and Jonathan. How are you doing, guys? Awesome. I'm, do- I'm doing great. <laughs> you look awesome and great. We've got some exciting news. Elle, what's going on? We have some very exciting news. Yep. We have announced Carpenter Brutes yes. for the Metal Hammer Golden Gods 2018. The King of Synthwave will be playing live at the Metal Hammer Golden Gods, joining Meshuggah. Uh, where else do you get a bill like that? Carpenter Brute and Meshuggah on one bill. That's going to be Aliens ridiculous. and the 80s. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what more could you wish for? Um, we, we, we kind of were raving about Carpenter Brute's live show when he uh, filled out Coco in London, which is about, I don't know, a couple of thousand capacity yeah, venue, I, I think. And I came as an agnostic. I, kept, I left as a complete convert. Just hit a pleasure centre, kept drilling for over an hour. I've uh, never seen so much joy in a room full of metalheads since um, the last time Devin Townsend played. Yeah, and exactly. And played Venger Boys at the beginning. <laughs> Amazing. I still haven't seen them. Well, you will him, now. So now I'm excited. It's going to be ridiculous. Yeah, bringing the full live band, uh, the fun visuals that they have on screen as well. It's basically the greatest heavy metal 80s dance party you never knew you needed. It's going to be amazing. Tickets are on sale for the Golden Gods as we speak. Go on to metalhammer.com to find out how to get hold of yours. Um, and yeah, Meshuggah as well, so that'll be all right. I love them. They're my favourite live band. Um, I I lose my shit to Michigan Live. There Everyone you go. watch Jonathan then. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If, you want to see, if you want to see a man in a smart attire throwing himself off the stage and into the crowd, you know who it will be. Uh, two more bands to announce to play the Golden Gods as well in the upcoming weeks, including a very, very special headliner. So keep an eye on the website for that. And of course, we do have the current issue of Metal Hammer out right now, featuring our world exclusive ghost interview. Uh, inside the mind of Tobias Forge and everything that's going on in Camp Ghost at the moment. If you need Ghost, and Lord knows you do, you need this in your life right now. They've been out on the road, haven't they, Ghost? They're finally dusting off the new show. Yeah, they played the Roxy. I saw pictures online of queues stretching all the way around the block. It's like really a surprise show in. almost, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah just kind it. of small club show. And wow. Yeah. Uh, I was looking at the um, set list for the show the other day, and, and once not to be a, a media wanker about this, but once everyone's heard the album, they'll realise how badass this is but um, there's a there's one line on the whole set list that has got me stoked and it's the words saxophone solo <laughs> it's going to be a, there's, there's a saxophone being brought on stage with ghosts just when you thought it couldn't get more ridiculous saxophones can be heavy yeah saxophones are metal we can saxophone Merlin well no we can't can we Eleanor can play the saxophone <laughs> can't you Elle <laughs> Maybe maybe you could get up with Ghost and do a little... That's the dream, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. My dream was to play saxophone with Ghost, definitely. <laughs> um, what's going on in and around the world of metal, guys? Well, I just spent the weekend at Desert Fest. Yes, you did, of course. Um, How was that? Glorious. Glorious three days <laughs> of beards, sludge, doom, trippiness. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, and uh, Beer, that I mentioned beer, lots of beer. Beer yeah. and Beautiful weather. Yeah, two and a half thousand people descending on Camden. That's um, wild, isn't it? Just across four, wow. four five venues. Um, Band yeah, of the weekend? Uh, in part, Jex Thoth, because I just love her, anything she does, but though they could have done with a few more people at the gig, I think it's because I Hate God and Graveyard were played at the same time. Sure. Um, High on Fire felt like um, being hit in the face for an hour <laughs> and, and loving it. It was just, just constant riffs. Don't need dynamics when you got riffs like that, quite frankly. Brilliant. Um, Monster Magnet were kind of were back on form at the Roundhouse, and finally got to see um, Hawkwind. Wow! And I kind of couldn't find my own shoelaces after that. So. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Sounds like a wonderful time was had by all. Right. So Guns and Roses 
are releasing a $1,000, which I think, oh, you literally just did the maths on this. What's that in, that in is, English money? right now, £736.21. Goodness. Uh, so £736.21, <laughs> um, Appetite for Destruction box set. Uh, speaking as a Guns N' Roses fan, a big, big Guns N' Roses fan, uh, it's one of the best things I think I've ever seen. I mean, I... I can't say I would just chuck a grand in dollars or otherwise on a box set willy-nilly, but, I mean, there's so much stuff in this. There's, like, pins, picks, a collectible coin, uh, many, many, many different vinyls and bits and bobs in it. There's posters, I think. There's a bandana in there. Um, the thing that I like the most in there is that they've actually made kind of these, um, you know, like, I don't, I don't know who physically made them, but Great frog S kind of skull rings featuring uh, the original five um, members, you know, taking off the Appetite for Destruction artwork. I mean, it's a thing of beauty. It's mental. Yeah, I mean, I'm one of the people who... Would you I, pay £1,000 for a... Um, maybe, uh, no, maybe not £1,000. I've spent like 150 quid in box sets before. Mm. Um, but I'm one of those people who um, like, takes figurines out of boxes. So yeah, me too. I, so I never, whenever I buy box sets, I'm never buying something I'm going to sell it. I buy it because I actually want it. Yeah, definitely. So... Um, but I had this like one Drudka box set with a t-shirt and it's like yeah, a what box set? Drudka okay I think it's how you pronounce they're like a, a very important black metal band and um, and I would wear the t- and I have one t-shirt except it's white so probably not that much <laughs> but um, but there'd be a lot of people who'd buy box sets and wouldn't, wouldn't take anything out of the box so I kind of wonder like what most people are going to get out of it I mean would you wear the rings? I mean oh, if, you I spend a, if you spend a thousand pounds on it or thousand dollars, or seven hundred twenty-six pounds and twenty-one p. Thirty-six pounds plus packaging. <laughs> <laughs> like, 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 I wonder, like, how many people are going to like get the full experience of it? Yeah, like, it's a good point. Buy it as collectors. It's a good point. I mean, the closest thing I got to anything like that is that I, um, I was lucky to get a copy of the because we did uh, the big black Sabbath box set that came out um, last year or earlier this year. No, it was last year, I think. Um, uh, uh, the ten-year the war one. Big mammoth thing, um, lo- lovely splattered vinyls and a rare poster in it, and all sorts of stuff going on. And we did a we did a collaboration with it. We did a Golden Gods edition of that, and I've got one of those. And you know, as much as you don't want to, uh, you know, it feels wrong in a way to kind of break into and open up something so perfectly conceived and put together. But at the same time, I don't really want to spend money on something that I'm not going to use and enjoy. do it it's liberating yeah exactly <laughs> and I do you know I do I do play the Sabbath break, finals break the shell I do get the Sabbath finals out and play them and look yeah. at them and go ooh and I would absolutely wear an Axl Rose skull ring on my yeah, I mean, thing is, if you, second yeah the thing is like, if, you, if you spend a thousand pounds and or a thousand dollars plus packaging <laughs> and, and you got these amazing rings you would have to wear them yeah. but you, I'm sure like a lot of people think oh, all five at once just like fucking yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but these, these things are like like remember the um, was it the Kiss safe that was like how much that the Gene Simmons safe yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. yeah and so these things when they get to that can't say I'd be as tempted I mean if it was no. Kiss that's one thing but I can't say no. I'd be tempted by no. specifically but, a Gene Simmons one but once they get past a certain price they kind of become just like proof of concept things it's like yeah. there's people that make pizzas with gold leaf and they sell it for like some ridiculous amount of money and everyone goes oh that's the 1% and stuff. I think I literally saw something on the internet this week that said people were doing like fried chicken dusted in gold or something yeah, yeah, yeah. what was the I coffee mean, where it has to be pooped out by a cat oh that's what that's civet coffee <laughs> that, what so so as a huge oh, coffee God. obsessive and I have, I have tried civet coffee so really yeah these Indonesian animals called civets and they eat all the coffee berries 
Uh, that it ferments in their stomach and they poop it out. People, yeah. people clean it up, thankfully, and they and they sell it. Up. <laughs> <laughs> what, do, what do you mean they clean it up? They well, they, the they, they, they take the beans out that have been pooped out. Yeah. Oh, so the beans. Uh, yeah, they fermented in the civet right. stomach, and it makes like the best coffee in the world. I and, they, and they only harvest like five hundred grams of it. I mean, yeah, I don't like very, coffee at the best of times. It's a complex procedure to have but, to um, go through. Yeah, I'm I'm the, the world's biggest coffee freak, apart from Dom Lawson. And, so um, I wouldn't spend a thousand on a Guns N' Roses box set. Would eat cat shit. Yes. <laughs> I would drink it. I mean. grind it up and drink it. it. I'm sorry. Oh my goodness. Uh, loads of bands releasing new stuff this week. Tis the season for new music. Uh, baby Metal. What are we saying about Distortion? New Baby Metal track. Yeah. Long awaited. Interesting. I don't know. I am in two minds. I was quite excited about a new track. But then I also think, obviously Baby Metal taking loads of different styles. That whole thing is taking different styles of metal from their favourite metal bands and kind of gluing them together yeah, to make something kind of pop metal. And I kind of just not sure because it sort of sounded a bit glued together. It sounded like sort of three or four songs put together. I kind of went, oh, I like this, but I'm not... Once I've got used to one bit, it kind of switches style. So it's not as uh, fun as I thought it would be, but I'm also intrigued because I don't know where they're going to go next. Yeah, because there's that first part of the song that comes in, and they they put I don't know if it's Sue Metal singing, but they put that weird kind of effect on their voice that's giving yeah, this like kind a of low end type thing. Yeah, which is quite interesting for them. And they, yeah. we kind of listen to it, going, "Wow, where's this come from? This isn't really what they've done before." And then it kind of kicks into that kind of fast power metal, children of bother me kind of thing. Yeah. And it's all the da 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 thing, and it's back into more familiar baby metal realms. Maybe they I don't think there's an album coming with this, is there? I think this is a bit of a one-off. I think it's a one-off um, because they're into the new era. But I wonder, I wonder if they're going to start flirting with other styles of metal and stuff that's kind of coming through. You know, like we've got Carpenter Brute at the awards. What if they went into synthwave? Oh, mate, that would be that would be something. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, like, when you when you do these songs that kind of fit so many parts together, there's a fine line, like with yeah. Igor, Igor, between being bonkers and contrived. Igor, Igor. Igor. Like being bonkers and contrived, and sometimes it's like you can. But you saw Igor, didn't you? And you weren't yeah. feeling it. No, I was a fan. Yeah, I've not seen him. So Igor, this were they from French? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of bonkers French, properly like throw the kitchen sink at your sounds. Kind it's a of guy called Gautier Serre. He uses chickens on his. He's got a pet chicken. Yeah, and he wrote. A See, I think called... there's a few people that have already like switched off because of this. Now. This is what makes it better. <laughs> He's got a pet chicken, and he used it to help write a chicken symphony where the chicken pecked on a keyboard. Yeah, if that sounds like something you like, you can go check out. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of it makes this kind of opera and breakcore. And um, yeah, there's a lot more to it metal. than a chicken. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's really off the wall. It's well worth listening to. Yeah, I mean. I think like when they played Roadburn, people coming more out of curiosity than genuine love for the band, but it was rammed. Um, but yeah, it just it, this whole kind of circus-like thing that overlays everything, I found it really annoying. Baby Metal aren't really a kitchen sink band, though, are they? They're, no, I think they're they, a band they with they a play... con- strong concept, and yeah. you can because of what they do, you can kind of tie in any type of metal to that that you want because it's baby metal fight. Like baby metal doing thrash or baby metal doing yeah. death metal. They pay tribute to lots of styles and make yeah. them their own. But what I love, what I really like about baby metal is the absurdity of it. And yeah, absurdity yeah. is an art in itself. And I think absurdity is like a really high art. So when I listen to the first baby metal album, I'm just like, what the fuck? 
and um, but kind of really enjoying it in ways that I probably shouldn't. You know, but I find myself like enjoying it in ways that I wasn't expecting. Like I like all the really ultra tacky parts of it. Cause, yeah, definitely. You know, I like really ultra tacky pop music. And there's nothing wrong with that. You're yeah, excited absolutely. to have her back. Yes, I am. Good. I can't wait. Like I grew up, I grew up in a world where like basically number one was either ABBA or um, Song from Greece. Really? So, um, oh, I love yeah. Greece. So yeah, ABBA, well, every song ABBA released is always number one when I was a kid. Good. Well, uh, you're so a, a happy subterranean editor, right? Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah we got sidetracked by that. Sorry, it just suddenly came to mind. I thought, no, oh, just, anyone who doesn't like, like ABBA. ABBA. Yeah, fair point, fair point. Fever ABBA. ABBA's metal, guys. Um, Wes Borland has a solo album coming out. Yeah, we're just listening Something to else to do while Limp Bizkit are fucking about then. Well, <laughs> what is happening? We'll never know. We will, well, hopefully we will at some point. Um, yeah, still waiting for Stampede of the Disco Elephants for about three years now. Not that we're counting, guys. Come Merlin's on, please. Tapping his I want new Limp Bizkit. Right Give me new Limp Bizkit. Um, but yeah, but we were playing those balling tracks and they're all right, aren't they? They're pretty yeah, good. Yeah, I quite like them. It's sort of gone into sort of an ambient trip poppy realm you kind of make comparisons to a perfect circle as well there's just a little bit in there I think you were saying it sort of sounded like some of the interludes on Biscuit Records and there was a bit that just reminded me of kind of the wash of perfect circle and the kind of electronic way I mean you know whenever Wes is kind of broken away from Biscuit which has been more often than not in recorded terms recently I guess he's, he's been very quick to kind of go down those experimental kind of left field routes um, which you know he's a fantastic guitarist and has written some of the best riffs ever written so he's allowed to go and indulge himself I think I could hear bits of Black Light Burns in it it was almost sure. like a Black sure. Light Burns remix B-side or something definitely like, I always thought them was, as much more kind of riffy especially that first album whereas this is much more ambient than that but he, obviously his fingerprint is all over it yeah, yeah absolutely Mm-hmm. Uh, Five Finger Death Punch also released new track this week When the Seasons Change that's coming off uh, and Justice to None which is pretty fucking good so you can read a review of that in our issue that's out right now I think actually that was a good plug wasn't it um, <laughs> but what's uh, one thing that's been interesting and kind of Five Fingery related a little bit is that um, Chris Kale is their bassist He's beard lad, isn't he? Beard lad, yeah. yeah. Beard lad came out. Looks like out. he comes from the ocean. He does, yeah. He looks uh, the greatest beard in metal, basically. Uh, Chris Kale um, came out... It, so basically, it seems like there's been some really interesting and unsurprisingly passionate reactions around the Parkway album. Um, Reverence has been out for about, uh, about... Just under a week by the time this podcast lands. And uh, as, as has been the case with every album they've ever done, pretty much, they pushed themselves in some new directions. They stretch themselves a bit they kind of built especially on what they were doing with Aya um, and it's and it's you know it's caused some very extreme reactions a lot of people absolutely love it um, and a lot of people have kind of perhaps unsurprisingly in our corner of the world uh, thrown their toys out of the pram that it's not a, it's not an album just of breakdowns and blast beats or, or whatever the fuck they're, they're after um, and Chris Kale is out of all people has come out to kind of um, to defend Parkway and defend what Parkway do um, he says I have to make this post after seeing some of the negative comments from quote-unquote fans of Parkway Drive giving scathing reviews of their new record on the social networks. This new album fucking rules. I listen to Ira a bit, but I'm only really familiar with Reverence. It doesn't change the fact that I can enjoy a great record, even if I'm unfamiliar for the most part of their catalogue as a whole. So basically he's going into this thing that people need to wind their necks in and chill out when it comes to criticising bands, taking risks and doing something a bit different. But I kind of think... At this stage of Parkway Drive's career, I mean, if you're not, re- if you can't really recognise where they're going and where and take it, I don't really why. I don't. Whatever you, I think Reverence is really good. Um, we've played it a lot in the office. 
But I certainly don't think you could say there's anything that will shock people and make them go, I can't believe you've done this, what the fuck? And yeah, to me it's very natural progression from Aya. I think it's interesting that Chris said this is the first album he's gone in on, so for him it's a brand new band. But yeah, I agree, if you follow Parkway and you listen to Aya, then Reverence really shouldn't come as a surprise to you. No, I don't think so at all. It's an interesting one as well, because I guess it feeds back into that thing of do bands need to evolve to be able to, you know, try and make that that ever kind of presence always talked about next step up. You know, if Parkway wants to be headlining festivals around the world, you know, it is this it was this is what they've done with Reverend something they needed to do. I think Aya was what they needed to do, I think to get bigger and you can really see on that album they properly made a like you said at the time a left turn and they really did something that was different and they changed their sound and it has made them it has taken them into bigger venues and made them bigger and I think this is a natural progression but Winston has said um, creatively the older we get the more stuff we're going to do we're always going to be a heavy band what do we like doing? melodic stuff heavy stuff things we're interested in that actually spans a hell of a lot so we're going to keep to those areas so yeah he's basically admitting that as they get older you know they want to branch out into different kinds of heavy and evolve because it's going to be boring if you're in a band and you literally have the same sound for the whole of your career mm. everyone grows up everyone changes and they're no exception yeah I mean maybe the decision wasn't about whether they're going to get bigger because if you do make this artistic choice based on that it always comes across as really contrived yeah, and totally. bands always fail they're compromising yeah they compromise and they end up in a no man's zone no man's land between um, you know, not getting the fans they thought they were going to get and losing the fans that they had you know, it must. I'm sure it's purely an artistic decision, but also when you go an album, it's the relationship between you and the microphone. You know, you, you're going to do something that's kind of honest to you at that particular point in time. Mm. And I've grown up with bands that have changed their their sound hugely over the years. But you know, you feel a belonging to the band, you trust them, and you and you understand the spirit in which it was done. Yeah. I went from you know, like uh, I mean, bands that gone from like super heavy to going acoustic for for brief periods, like Swans or something. But um, and but you you kind of follow them along the, on the route because you trust them artistically and you know you're on a journey with them. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and, it, and I think you know as much as they've kind of carried on with some of the kind of gung ho heavy metal kind of vibe that they brought into Aya, or that they certainly amplified in Aya. Um, I think it's interesting that Winston's really clearly enjoying. I don't know if that's the right word because there's a lot of dark stuff going on on Aya, um, on Reverence, excuse me. But Winston's really very much into his kind of. Nick Cave, Tom Waits, kind of gravelly spoken words, kind of poetry yeah, vibe as definitely. well. Which, you know, that's not something you're really going to do if you're trying to just score easy wins and just make big songs that will go on festivals. No, you're not going to headline download with the last track on that album, are you? No. It's not going to happen. Absolutely not. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting one. But at the end of the day, it's, you know, I think it's, all, it's never necessarily a bad thing when you get a big reaction to an album. And I think where... I uh, shocked a lot of people and a lot of old school fans weren't very sure about it but you can't really argue with an album that made you headline and fill out Brixton Academy twice on one album cycle um, that's like a 5,000 cap venue for people uh, you know, outside the London bubble um, and I, I'm pretty sure that Reverence is going gonna, is gonna to do the same thing they, they seem to be you know I saw them at Rockville they got a huge crowd in Florida which is great to see so they're obviously getting some great traction in the US and like you said now, like people are, are kind of feeling the need to publicly talk about this band that weren't even into them on the last album cycle so they must be doing something right 
which is good because we want good bands to do big. <laughs> I, mean, it, it, I mean, it might be more questionable than, English. <laughs> it might, it might be more of an internet reaction than a kind of a fan reaction in a way. You know, True. I think you know a lot of people on the internet it seem to have kind of a sense of entitlement when it comes to like their bands or sure. or any you know anything that anything that changes or you know. So it might just be the nature of people of what people turn to when they're commenting on the internet. Very, very fair. The internet doing an internet, as always. Yeah. Uh, we're going to take some questions for the lovely readers of Mount Hammer magazine, www.facebook.com forward slash Mount Hammer readers. If you can't talk about the magazine, talk about the podcast, talk to us. That's where you need to be. Um, what are people after? What are they asking? Well, Adam Turner says, I'm finding myself going back to older music and not really caring for the newer stuff. Do you find this and is it a problem for the future? Ooh. <laughs> Um, well, I'm going to say no. Well, I'm, I'm going to say it's, it's never bad to go back to older stuff. True, um, yeah, of course. And, but it's always important to understand the relationship between what, what's gone on in the past and what's happening now. And, you know, listening to older stuff all, you know, deepens my reaction to new music that comes out. And you, you hate to just be anchored in the present and not understand where the music, roots of music are coming from. So, but it's always that dynamic between... Um, you know, going back to the classics and what and and the foundations and realizing what's been built on them. Mm. Uh, so I would say never say, say it's never bad to go back to old music, and I think everyone should and go back to the roots and and it will make you appreciate the the modern bands you like all the more because they listen to that music. I'm sure. Absolutely, absolutely. Oh, you have a bit more of a definitive take. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just because. I don't know, maybe it's my attention span, but if I know there's new stuff out, I'm like, I need to listen to the new thing. And then I think we spoke about this last week, but I'll sometimes get obsessed with something new and listen to that a lot. So I don't really find myself going back to old music in that sense, but I do in the sense that Jonathan was talking about, just in terms of trying to find out where things came from. Uh, there's always more to learn. Like there's just an infinite past w- before I was born. And so always trying to listen to things influence the new stuff is a really good idea as well so yeah. I mean I think it's a shame um, you know Adam clearly isn't isn't feeling a lot of what's going on in the scene at the moment um, I think the last 18 months or so going maybe back to two years has been arguably the most exciting period we've had for new music um, in the metal scene in a long while uh, you know you only had to look look back at the Hammer Tour which sounds like a self-plug but it's true uh, we, we, you know, we had Code Orange Power Chip and Venom Prison playing to you know literally thousands of people across the UK and I think that's a sign that the scene's in really good health but, but yeah absolutely like, both of you guys said you got a you know my favourite band that Iron Maiden and I'm not, I'm not just because there's lots of great new music out there it doesn't mean I'm just going to go well I'm never listening to Seven Sun again you know yeah. that's not really how the dynamic in music works no. this week I'm mostly listening to Three Teeth and Cancer Bats because mm. Cancer Bats obviously just dropped their record. Three Teeth Big are, fan of that album. They're playing right. this week as well, and Three Teeth are playing in London on Thursday. And I don't know, I've just been listening to those two records a lot. But, I mean, going back to older stuff can also be, in some ways, even more revelatory than listening to new stuff. Every time I listen to, say, Awesome Madness, I've, and I get this absolute kind of amazing like thrill, like someone's going to burst out of my chest. Mm. They always, you know, the great albums always feel like you listen for the first time. Mm. And... You know, that's the thrill that I first got when I listened to music, and and that's what I want um, you know newer bands to to get. And it's, it's something like really visceral, and something that's really probably not thought out fully at the time. But that's probably why it has you get that really visceral reaction to it. Mm-hmm. And so, 
you know, people, you know, bands went on the cusp of cusp of, of something new, and um, so I, you know, I listen to a lot of, you know, go listen to Bathory and Venom, basically, and, <laughs> and because the, the the thrill you get out of that is infinite, and you'll you'll get it over and over every time you, you listen to it, and yeah, and that's what you want to hear from new bands, and and also know that there's a con- continuity from those bands. I mean, if if those bands their influence just stopped at like say ninety seven. Then that's kind of limiting how great those bands were. Yeah, of course, and I, and I think more than any other genre out there, metal has got such a great. Um, I was going to say linear, but it's not linear at all. It's kind of sprawling family tree of heavy. That no matter what point you came in on, whether you came in at Iron Maiden or you came in at Pantera or you came in at Linkin Park or you came in at Bring Me the Horizon, like you don't have to go too far to discover the roots of where certain things came from. And once you get on that road all of a sudden you've got you know infinite direction forward and backwards to explore which is what makes yeah. metal so great because it just you never stop like you kind of said you never stop discovering stuff no but you know I, I remember like um, going to see Suicide Silence supporting um, Behemoth at mm. Udo a few years back you know, before Behemoth really blew up and um, you know a the, the lot of um, Suicide Silence fans left after they played and didn't stick around for Behemoth it's like well, if you're into music into metal wouldn't you want to be curious about the roots of what went on so it kind of it sort of works both ways you can say like yeah that definitely works both ways because for every gig you get like that yeah. you get people bottling a younger band supporting a, a exactly exactly so um, you know there, there are curmudgeons who go like oh there's nothing there's been nothing great since 87 um, but I think you know if you're really a genuine music fan you'd look back in the roots of where your bands come from otherwise you're just there as a kind of a scene still really mm-hmm. yeah love new music love old music just love music it's easier yeah Okay, so next we have David Connell discounting any pop punk as it's too obvious. I'm rubbish. Yeah. <laughs> what were you lot listening to whilst enjoying the sun, barbecuing, hiding under the covers, hoping for the sun to bugger off? I'm a big reggae guy when the sun comes out. Um, yeah, straight on with uh, Bob Marley in the way there's Jimmy Cliff, Black Uhuru, Greggy Isaacs, like all that shit. That's what uh, my dad always used to play uh, during the summer when I was growing up, so I'm straight onto the reggae vibe. Yeah. Well, this not very metal answer, but there you go. <laughs> this bank holiday weekend just gone. I was in a dark room in the back of a pub, uh, talking at an event called the Album, the Alternative Album Club, I think it is. Yeah, you're doing like the least summary thing ever. Yeah, about the downward spiral. So, got in a room with some people, listened to some tracks that had inspired Nine Inch Nails, listened to the whole downward spiral in full and then listen to some tracks by bands who were inspired by Nine Inch Nails. So it was literally in a darkened room, away from the sunlight, listening to Industrial. That's what I did this weekend. Good work. Cheesy, <laughs> cheesy music makes me feel really happy sometimes. Like, I know I'm kind of alone in this, um, but, like, listening to a band like Heat, like, proper cheesy AOR. I know, I just love it so much. It makes me really happy. Listening to Jane's Addiction just makes me really happy. Listen to bands that are just kind of slightly open-ended and um, just makes me really happy. I like listening to New Orleans bands like Down in the Sun. Yeah, I've, sludgy I've, been listening to, I've been listening to a lot of jazz actually, like Ooh, really, really messed up. Uh, when I love Miles Davis, uh, Bitches Brew, one of, the, one of the most incredible, like strangest records I ever, um, I've ever come across, but it's one of my favourite records of all time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just strange... Um, progressive things like that and magma and just it's just completely open-ended and 
just these sprawling worlds you just you just live in and strangely good for some even though you know, some people think British Brew is kind of cold and alienating I've listened to it so many times now I kind of find it warm and accommodating Fair. I love these things where just like there's no centre to it it just keeps moving the centre keeps moving around mm. and I'm um, just like it's, yeah it's basically like a big sonic bath <laughs> Such bath. Jonathan bath. to say. Yeah, well, we, we've been having a bath versus bath thing. Yeah, that, that, that's indefinite. So I don't know. Was scolding us for saying bath earlier. She just had an effect. Scolding bath. I should so, say so, as well. Someone says something I didn't understand because they said it wrong. That's all. Yeah, I'm yeah. Uh, I should say as well. I know I said discount pop punk, but I do like to put a conspiracy of one by string if the sun's out because what's an album it is. Chris Miles asks, what is the process of putting together the cover CDs for Metal Hammer? How does the theme, the bands, and the songs, uh, how are they all chosen? This is one for L. L, deputy editor, uh, uh, always puts the CDs together for the most part. So do you want to talk about that whole process? Because that's quite a big part of what we do at Hammer. Yeah, it's a really big part of what we do. Um, we put together two types of CDs. One is kind of a compilation of stuff that's going on right now. So all new songs from bands, releasing them at the time the issue's on sale and the other type of CD is kind of a theme CD so we might do something about southern rock we might do something about riffs we've done ones from different countries before like South Africa so yeah it can really vary between what's happening now and, and kind of delving into a scene or a sound yeah and uh, I mean Mount Hammers I think I'd like to think more than any other magazine um, you know in our sphere right now we, we're very proud of kind of bringing together real event issues or issues that kind of are celebratory and you know, go beyond the, the Call of Duty and, um, uh, you know, a lot of the time the albums we put together kind of reflect that. So, for instance, for our 30th anniversary issue that we put out in late 2016, um, we got uh, bands from right across the scene, from the top to kind of, you know, legends to upcoming bands to cover some of the greatest songs of the 30 years of Hammer's existence. So we had Korn covering Faith No More, we had Devin Townsend doing Accept, I think it was, Asking Alexandria doing Slipknot, Sabaton doing uh, Man of War. So that was really good fun. Um, and then uh, last year we had the 90s issue where we looked through the, you know, we took a real decade, year by year look at one of the most important and bizarre and fascinating decades in metal's history. And for that we had a, we had a cover CD as well. We had a ton of bands um, covering 90s classics there. Um, and uh, if you pay attention to our next issue, which will be out on May, I want to say 24th. Late May, um, it'll be announced in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, we've done something a little bit similar as well, so that was quite a pertinent question, actually, Chris Miles, because we've got a very special CD coming at you in a couple of weeks. It's going to be a big, big deal that we're very excited about, so look out for that. It's going to be cool. Chris Lloyd says, What non-metal artists would you say have had the biggest influence on our scene? That is a good question. Um, I guess, first of all, you have to go back to the bands that influence Sabbath. So you're looking at Zeppelin and Cream and... Uh, blue cheer and those kind of you know pre-metal but still pretty heavy for what they were bands obviously that's cheating a bit but yeah but I, I mean I think, I think there's there are a lot of non-metal bands that have influenced uh, especially the extreme metal scene mm. more through a kind of a sensibility than actual direct sound uh, I mean you talked to like, I think we talked about this in the podcast before we talked to most black metal artists and you mentioned either Dead Can Dance or Fills with Nephilim mm. um, or even Japan uh, you know, people not understand exactly that there's kind of this otherness about these bands that um, it was always like a really and, and Bowie and you know there's an otherness about these artists that is really very much a part of metal about bringing something outside of normal waking reality in, in, into it and you know back then you know 70s and 80s stars were kind of from our other planets 
And so, yeah, it's that sense of like something you can't quite put your finger on um, that I think something that's had, you know, in the case of Deccan Dance or, um, or um, Fields of Nephilim, a kind of a spiritual sense mm-hmm. that um, certainly has fed very deeply into um, the, the black metal scene. Um, Tom G. Roy put a piece up, a post on Facebook about how much he loved Japan. Obviously, you know, when we when Bowie passed away, and um, we did a, we, we did something I mean, online about you know the influence on Bowie and metal. Yeah, I was going to say Bowie's a massive. Yeah, one. and it, yeah, and it wasn't direct, but you know, it was, it, you know, because a lot of the goth bands got influenced by Bowie, then like Bauhaus, and um, that influenced a lot of metal. Well, I mean, there'll be li- the cure. He, yeah. he, Marilyn Manson ripped off Harsh's stick for, and I, yeah. Marilyn Manson was one of my favourite artists yeah. but I mean he ripped off his stick for, in certain ways anyway and then he went and did Amiga with Mechanical mm. Animals and that was yeah. Know, yeah. that was his Ziggy Stardust yeah but if you're looking for a direct reference um, Slow Dive I mean the whole um, the whole of the sort of black gay scene is based around Slow Dive mm-hmm. who are um, you know they were like a late 80s band doing sort of you know one of the original shoegaze bands and certainly the one that everyone remembers the most and, and no slow dive you wouldn't have you wouldn't have death heaven or all the other things so they, they found this weird thing between like slow dive and burzen mm. and um, but the whole black gaze movement is basically because of slow dive who wow. find enough reformed recently and um, so we covered slow dive uh, Bob Marley and the Whalers David Bowie Japan Nephilim Deck and Dance amazing scene well there's also um, Lamb of God have just released a record of Burn the Priest which is all those punk rock covers as well yeah oh god yeah I mean if you're looking outside if you're looking more strictly in the in the the, the rock sphere world. I guess we were kind yeah. of looking a bit more out than that yeah. but yeah I mean punk yeah. you know I think I think if you especially if you look at the the spirit of where a lot of the younger bands coming through now comes from a lot of it comes from the hardcore scene which is of course a direct evolution of the punk scene so that's like oh. yeah. but it was particularly that kind of crusty end of the punk scene like anti-Symex and Amoebics mm-hmm. um, Cro-Mags and um, you know less so UK subs in Chelsea you know, <laughs> yeah, you know, quite so you know, but um, but certainly again, you know, there's that famous thing of neurosis writing all these bands on the wall that who's like approach they want to have that they want that same kind of purative approach as them, and um, you know, certainly that kind of resistance and against the system and being absolutely true to yourself mm-hmm. uh, has come from bands like you know, Yo Mebix and Anti Cymex, and you should all go listen to them as old music too. Absolutely, that's your homework, guys. Go go get on that immediately. Um, Adam Edwards uh, Elle's going to be all over this (laughs) Adam Edwards asks has anyone watched Agretsuko yet and what do you think of the music Elle do you want to explain what the fuck Agretsuko is for anyone who's not it's on Netflix and it's a Japanese cartoon about a red panda that goes to work and doesn't really like her job and wants to do something else and to vent her frustrations every night she goes into a karaoke booth and sings death metal (laughs) Is it as good Obviously. as Delinquent Hamsters? What? It's, it's, it's on Amazon, Delinquent Hamsters. It's amazing. What's that? It's, it's a thing that only Japanese minds could conceive. Oh, God. <laughs> Tell us what it is in one line. It's a two-minute short about, about three hamsters trying to be more delinquent than the other. Um, more what? Being more delinquent than the other. Like badly having, behaved? Yes. Yeah, wow. it, got, it involves a lot of fluff. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's our other homework, is to watch that. Yes. Yeah. Well, Agro Suko, I've only actually seen halfway through it. I need to watch the rest, but 
Um, she's at the point I've got to she's made friends with two more senior people at work and they've all gone to the karaoke booth together and she was really worried they walked past the karaoke place and suggested they go in and Agretsuko was well she's called Retsuko really but Agretsuko because she's aggressive I think Agretsuko and they were walking past and they suggested going in and she was like oh no it's my special karaoke place uh oh then they got in there and she did karaoke in front of them and she felt kind of more free and liberated so that was quite cool is it any good though or is it a load of gimmicky twat <laughs> at the moment well I found it quite hard to get into I'll be honest there's not a huge amount of plot and it's quite slow moving but I'd like the fact that it's about a red panda and it's about death metal so I'm kind of sticking with it in hopes, to our interests. in hopes that the plot will evolve a bit because yeah there's not a lot there it's kind of a boss she doesn't really like a couple of colleagues one's a bit of a gossip yeah it's it's kind of it's a bit slow but I'm hoping it will get it's like more metal is it and, better yeah. than Metalocalypse? no nothing's better than that is it? it's a made by Hello Kitty lot is that not? Uh, the character is Sanrio, I think, yeah, which is Hello Kitty. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know what that other reference meant, but... Sanrio is the company. <laughs> right, okay, cool. Oh, so it's like they, do, they do, like, Good to Dharma, the sad egg. Have you seen that? Nope. It's like an egg that's always sad. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a great show. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not a show, it's just a merch It's not a show, it's a way of life. Um, <laughs> Wow. Uh, that's it for this week's show. Thanks to everyone to, for listening. Don't forget to rate us and subscribe on iTunes. It helps push us up so we can uh, infiltrate all those fucking shitty mainstream music podcasts that are all over the place. Uh, we'll be back next week with all the latest news, reviews and gossip from the world of heavy metal. Don't forget to pick up the latest Ghost Issue right now. And we will see you at the Golden Gods on Monday, June 11th as well. Tickets on sale for that. My sugar and Carpenter Brook. Come oh, on. It's going to be ridiculous. I'll be there moshing like a bastard. <laughs> said bastard again. So I mean, I'm got, I was northern in northern, you. Yeah, I'm in northern eyes. What's going on? Oh, well. I see you next week. moshing like a bastard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> see you next week, guys.